Hey guys, Sean Hayes here. Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and I had a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to sit down with not one, not two, but three presidents of the United States on our recent episode of Smartless. That's because President Biden, a returning guest, brought two of his favorite pals, former Presidents Bill Clinton and Barack Obama, all joined us for unforgettable conversation. It's a historic episode of Smartless as we pry into the minds of these remarkable leaders. We'll cover everything from their time in office, America's responsibilities in the world, and their personal passions in an episode full of some candid stories, insightful perspectives, and a few surprises along the way. Whether you're a political junkie or just curious about the inner workings of the Oval Office, this episode is a must listen. Don't miss out on this incredible opportunity to hear from three of the most influential figures in recent American history. Follow Smartless on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen to Smartless ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. My name is Jeff Ross, and I feel tan about being Conan O'Brien's friend. <laughs> That's appropriate. Wait a minute, Can so you? do I. No, no. <laughs> the kid from Powder feels tan when he's talking to me. You actually look like Desi Arnaz right now. You have. You put the Aryan in Conan the Barbarian. Yeah. <laughs> Baby, what are we doing today? <laughs> now we're doing, now we're talking. Fall is here, hear the yell, back to school, ring the bell, brand new shoes, walking blues, climb the fence, books and pens. I can tell that we are gonna be friends. Yes, I can tell that we are gonna be friends. Hey there, welcome to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend and a terrific program today. I'm feeling good. You feeling good, Gorley? I never felt better. Oh, really? Well, that's a, that's the saddest thing I've ever heard. I know. And this actually, is you in peak form. No, I'm I'm overcompensating. I'm I'm going through a rough patch. Oh, is everything okay? Everything's okay, but we have a cat baby war at home. What do you mean? Just the baby is crawling after the cat, and the cat is just taking it out with bodily fluids all over the house. Okay, uh, paint the picture, please. Your daughter is now how old? She's nine months old. Okay. Yeah. So she can crawl. Yeah. Okay. And boy, can't she. So she's crawling all over the place. And describe the cat. The cat is a half Maine Coon, gorgeous plus-size model cat. And boy, does she know it. I, that's way too much information. I just have cats. My wife yeah. and my, my wife, kids and I have two cats. And I just know that we have two cats. Right. I don't know what kind they are. Th- is this a pure breed? Would you call no, it? No, no. She's, she's a, like a pound cat. But she's half Maine Coon. And Maine Coons are notoriously big and vocal. Okay, I didn't know any of this. Well, the more you know. I guess. Yeah. I didn't realize we were doing an NBC PSA from 1997. Also- Are we about to watch Suddenly Susan? <laughs> don't go in any abandoned refrigerators either. Good uh, good message out there, kids. So the cat is a big fat cat is what you're saying. Yeah, Margo the fat guy. Okay, so you have this cat and everything was fine until the baby showed up. Everything was even fine when the baby was here. But once she started crawling, territory- started being seized and it's like it's hell right now and yeah. we took Margot to the vet because she also got fleas and they gave her an enema okay and then we and Margot's the cat not Margo's the daughter the cat okay I just want to be sure if you're listening he did not give his nine month old an enema because she got fleas no have you thought about putting your daughter down oh I'm sorry the cat down it's very confusing it is now. and I understand that I forget yeah. that 
Margo the fat guy. Have you the cat. neutered your daughter? No. Okay. Margo the fat guy's the cat. Glenn, who's also called the pee pee queen of Pasadena. They're both. <laughs> You're an idiot. <laughs> You're an idiot. And the you, Golden State Pooper. Okay. You spent all your time coming up with these cute nicknames, mm -hmm. and uh, this is time when you could be solving the problem. This That's is the issue. The issue is you could be solving the problem, but no, you're too busy going, there's there's <laughs> Giggles, the tall cam gaggler. Well, let me write that down. What do you call your toaster? There's Toasty the Mosty? That's Mitch. There's Toasty the Mosty. <laughs> well, I've got to use Toasty the Mosty, but first I've got to open Coolie the Fridge Fridge to get the bready bread bread bread. Yeah. <laughs> You're living in Pee Wee's Playhouse. It's madness. Yeah, I suppose. So, it just happens. So what's the plan here? I want I wanted this segment to end in a real solution. Okay, good. I could use your help. Yes. Margo is, uh, she did this to me. You can see this just railroad track of scrape down my forearm. That's the, those are the same scratches that the murderer always shows to the police afterwards <laughs> and says, look at that. Hold that up to the, that's the same how did you get these? Oh, cat. <laughs> I have a cat. Okay. Oh, and also, I murdered. <laughs> I fell down a flight of murder. Yeah. Uh, so we brought Margo home from the vet, and I guess she hadn't finished her enema process. Because what do you mean? Well, Be specific. Uh, not everything got out. And by everything, I mean there was a lot in there. And so she started scratching in the corner like she was going to go to the bathroom. So I picked her up to take her to her litter box, which she's been refusing lately. And as I was holding her, she just spat out some kind of pressurized soft serve. And it's just been all over the house. And it's just been a nightmare. And what is she spitting up? Not spitting up. Shat. Oh. Oh, I see. Yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to go there, but that's how bad this has been. What I'm saying is me being here right now is the first calm I've had in like two weeks. We're on the second floor in the podcast studio. It's a soundproof insulated uh, area, and I can hear your cat outside <laughs> smashing the window open with an iron bar. <laughs> Jack from The Shining. Yeah. Yeah. He's she hasn't stopped, and I don't know what to do. Well, you know that the child comes first. It's the hierarchy of needs. Yes, of course. And so cat's got to go bye-bye. No, we yeah. can't get rid of the cat. This cat is special to us. The baby is our life. Uh, I have to go, I think, is the thing. Okay. Well, I'm the unnecessary What I'm saying one. is I don't want the cat to be harmed in any way. No. The, but I think maybe the cat has to learn its lesson and go live somewhere else for a while until it learns to uh, toe the line, if you will. You're volunteering? Oh, I'll come pick up your cat. <laughs> oh, Jesus. I will come pick up your cat and go for a ride. And when I come back, the cat won't be with me. And we won't have to discuss it. So, absolutely not. Yeah, absolutely yeah. not. I'm coming by at 3 a.m. Oh, quietly through the window. Oh God, this is no. a bad idea to bring this up. Well, good luck with your cat. Thank What's you. What's your cat's name again? Margo, the fat guy. Incredible. You live a very silly life. Um, we, there's our daughter, Mrs. Squeaks Cheeks, for weeks. <laughs> Captain Howdy lips so pouty. Right. So, you're not a real adult person. Uh, uh, well. And I'm saying this, which okay. is really bad. All right. Yeah, that is bad. I'm the stupidest person. I think person. I've uh, um, had my eyes open to some things about myself here this, this afternoon. Well, listen, to what take. better time to uh, get into our first guest? <laughs> yeah, this because, seems resolved. Yeah, I think right. your sense of humor and his are just so in line. <laughs> 
<laughs> My guest today is Mr. Goopty McLoopty. <laughs> My guest today. No, he really is a hilarious comedian. He's best known as the Roast Master General. Very excited to chat with him today. Jeff Ross, welcome. I congratulate you on, th uh, through talent and tenacity, just carving out this amazing thing for yourself. You are the Roast Master General mm. in not just the United States of America, worldwide. <laughs> worldwide. And, you know, it occurred to me, we should probably start where all things must start, which is with Don Rickles. We lost Don a couple of years ago. You have picked up that mantle. I mean, you know, you are the guy that everyone thinks of now when you think of insult comic, and you always have amazing jokes. You Thank get you. terrific jokes. Thank you. Do you write them all? Do you ever, do you have people that help you out? My cousin Ed and my, <laughs> my other buddy Ed, and sometimes for the big roasts, you know, full on writing staff will, will, will help everyone on the dais, but um, I mostly try to do my own. Right. And have, you know, a couple friends who know me real well sit around with me, and I, I don't really accept jokes, but I like to hone them with people. Yeah. If they sound, um, what do you call it, recycled, they start to sound mean or, or, or predictable. But mm -hmm. I really want it to be like a suit when I roast somebody, tailor-made just for them. <laughs> also, I think people appreciate that. If you're doing jokes about someone and telling them they're so fat that when they, you know, they need to leave the house to, it, it's a standard <laughs> joke. I'm going to work on that one, by the way. I know, that was <laughs> rough. Like, <laughs> that was rough. Oh, trust me. Oh, no, it's going places, that joke. <laughs> what Jeff will tell you is that you start with that. And then you work on it. Um, but you... Well, thank uh, you for that nice compliment off the bat about Don. He really was the, what do they call it? The Sultan of Insultan. And yes. he did teach me a lot. Uh, so I, I, I appreciate that. There was a few years there where if you were a big shot having a 50th birthday or a 40th, you know, a big, a big birthday, you'd have to have me and Don, you know, That's and, great. and he would inevitably, um, go on after me and make, I'd always, I'd always write the jokes and I'd always have papers of jokes. Yeah. Yeah. And like John Stamos asked me and, and, and Don Rickles to roast him for his 50th at this fancy, uh, hotel tuxedos and the whole thing. And I come in with pages of stuff, you know, John Stamos is so good looking his birthday candles blew themselves <laughs> <laughs> and like I really prepared and John asked me to prepare and then Rickles goes on after me and just makes fun of me for preparing yes well this is what I wanted to bring up the way in which you're different from Rickles now I'll start with the day I I had an experience about 15 years ago my wife and I are on a, a flight cross country we get on the plane I'm putting my stuff in the overhead compartment and I start to hear someone say, Jesus Christ, the literary guy on this plane. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I'm sort of hearing it out of the, and I'm thinking, what? And then he's like, man, goddamn, fucking Irish. Right? The Irish on the plane? This far up? You think the Irish should be further back? And I sort of start to get a little like, I'm tired and I'm frustrated, so I get irritated and I turn around. Don Rickles is sitting right behind Liza and I, and he's sitting there, and I swear, the definition of being happy as a pig and shit was my wife and I both, we never, I don't think I strapped in the whole flight. We're both of our heads 
are peeking over behind <laughs> us. And the whole flight, he's going after me. And then he's going after, you know, what are your plans? We told him he went after our plans. Then he starts going after Newhart, who he was best friends with, <laughs> who he knew that I knew. Yeah. And uh, just on and on and on. And it was, that flight felt like it was 20 seconds long. <laughs> but here's what I've always thought about. It's, it's interesting because I, for lack of anything better to do, I think about comedy a lot. I think you prepare very, very, very well. I think mm. you take these things really seriously and your jokes are very crafted. I'm going to say that, and I love Don, Don had a different technique. Mm -hmm. He would, he was a nerve comic in a lot of ways. He wouldn't, there were so many times I saw him, if you saw him like on a D Martin roast, yes, he had material, but so often he mm. would just go by the seat of his pants mm -hmm. and it wasn't so much crafted, intricate insults do you know what I mean? It was a full-on it was a full-on bear attack in the moment. <laughs> and if you went back and looked at the transcript, you'd say, some of this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> you know, you anyway. look at this guy over here, and, you know, and he would come on my show and do stuff, and every now and then you'd uh, one of my favorite things that he used to say was you'd say something, be like, Oh, good, good for you, smart guy. What do you want a cookie? And I just thought <laughs> and I think I just laughed because he said cookie. Right. What do you want a cookie? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. His timing. It yeah. was just the way he said it, and and you know, he did chastised me and I did get embarrassed you know like oh god I, I'm the kid who did all the homework and, and, and he would go up after me and, and crush it always kind of bothered me I, maybe it was my skin wasn't thick enough to take it from him and then a couple of years after that that Stamos thing I, I was at Don's memorial at a synagogue mm -hmm. and you know all the comics are sitting there we're all invited and remember Judd Apatow's right in front of me and all the guys are there and, and um, Don's uh, manager Tony comes walking over to me and he says, Jeff, can you speak? In the mo This is something I would have prepared a month for had I known. And I look at Joe, I go, this is Don challenging me oh. right now to talk. <laughs> no, paper, no papers, kid. And I did it. I just stood up oh. and I took the mic and handled my business for five minutes. And it was funny and it was sweet. And I remember being like, freaking Don taught me something from yes. the grave oh that God. I can do it. And somewhere in the beyond, he's like, what do you want, a cookie? <laughs> and I do always want a cookie. So that did work out. And, and uh, so she would have been good around people with low blood sugar. <laughs> Don just visiting a diabetes ward. What do you want a cookie? Actually, I do. I need one very, very badly. The first time I ever saw Don Rickles was uh, some event, you know, decades ago. And my buddy Adam Ferrara and I are, are, are in tuxedos and we're, we see Don Rickles. We're early. We, we beeline, you know, across the whole room and he can see two comics coming from a mile away, right? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and uh, my buddy Adam goes, Mr. Rickles, I just want, and he goes, all right, kid, don't make a thing. <laughs> his impatience was hilarious. Yes, his impatience was hilarious. And also the intensity of his attack, you know, because he was a terrific actor and, yeah. and studied seriously as an actor. Sure. It was maybe even less about the material than it was about the sheer nerve. You know, I've always heard that early Jerry Lewis, like Martin and Lewis, 1950s, uh, I mean, late 40s, if you saw him in a club, people I talked to, like Herb Sargent, who saw that, said it was the funniest thing they ever saw because mm. it was sheer nerve. They had no act, no act, <laughs> which meant they would do anything in the moment. And Jerry was dressing up as a waiter. He was stepping on people's food. He was cutting off people's ties, big mafia guys. And it was the nerve of it. And I think there was something about Don that was just the intensity and nerve. And he had an actor's ability to come at it. Like he, he was just out for blood, mm -hmm. completely out for blood. Mm -hmm. He was 
was a, a verbal assault unit. Yeah. He was fearless and, and, and his brashness. I still get that. Like people are like, I'm not sitting in the front row at your show. And I'm like, no, 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 don't worry. I only roast volunteers. You're not going to be a sitting duck at my shows. Is that true? When I do my shows, I'll do my proper act, whatever I'm working on for 30 or 40 minutes. And then I'll say, all right, I need volunteers. Who wants to come up here and get roasted? House lights go on, people stand up. And I'll say like, anybody pregnant or disabled, raise your hand. And if people try to point to other people, I, I don't take that. Right, That's right. bullying. I go, it's got to be volunteers. And that way, I don't get slapped at the Oscars. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Which, by the way, is considered an honor now. Yeah. Can you believe we lost Gilbert, Saget, and Will Smith in the same year? <laughs> I mean, gone but not forgotten. Okay, so here's... I want to get your take on this because I was um, I was in New York the week... Mulaney was hosting SNL and he asked me uh, to come by the Comedy Cellar and check out his... what he was going to do for his monologue. So I went by and Chris Rock was there. I talked to him for a bit and then Chris went up. This might have been a week and a half before the famous slap. Right. But I saw him deal with a heckler mm. in the audience, and I thought, wow, that was interesting. I was there. It, I think it was a kind of a very PC person in the crowd. He went, oh, I don't know about that. And Chris was like, excuse mm. me, you don't get to weigh in on what I'm doing. And <laughs> it was really fun to see, but then to see a week later, you'd think, well, that might happen at a comedy club in Manhattan, but now he's doing the Oscars. He's safe. And the idea that a week later he was on stage getting slapped by one of the biggest A-listers was absolutely stunning and something I still can't believe happened. I was in Atlanta. I had just come off stage watching it on TV. And I'm, I'm going to be sincere here. I, 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 I welled up. My eyes welled up. It was my... My hero, one of my heroes, Chris Rock, arguably my favorite comedian, getting slapped over a roast joke. So I saw my whole world. And, I, and a throwaway joke. Nothing that in, in the... Well, the joke's on Jada because yeah, yeah. I have alopecia and I'm starring in G.I. Jane 2. <laughs> <laughs> but it was something... It was something that Do I... Do I slap you? No, I don't. Well, it, it really showed me... And, and I've always been preaching, like, take a joke, have thick skin. That's been my mantra for years since I've been doing the roast. And roast can be very healing. And I get a lot of people with disabilities. I get a lot of... It's normalized... Roasting is normalizing things that aren't necessarily normal. Uh, maybe not the celebrity roast, but, like, the roasting I do in nightclubs and in theaters and stuff. And I, I, I got alopecia, like six or seven years ago and I did everything I could to cover it up. You know, mm -hmm. my hair fell out in a course of a few weeks mm -hmm. and I thought I was dying. I was seeing specialists. I didn't know what it was. It took a long time to figure out. And, you know, uh, my eyebrows look fucked up sometimes and this and that. And I was embarrassed because I, I had this big Jufro and I had jokes about it and I said, you know, I'll pretend it's a summer look and I'm going on tour. Mm -hmm, and, I'll, mm -hmm. and when I saw that woman not take that joke, when she could have easily normalized it for hundreds of thousands of kids all over the world watching this beautiful movie star on TV mm -hmm. be a bad sport about something she could easily have laughed about. Even if it hurt inside, she could have... And to me, it forced me to talk about it. I was talking about it on stage. I talked about it on the internet the next day because it really... It, I knew that it was hurting other people who might have that. It's mostly 
kids. Like, imagine being a, a my, 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 my doctor, Brett King at Yale, he's a mm-hmm. research doctor, and he told me about that he had read about a girl who's 12 years old who had to wear a wig to school, and the kids bullied her, and they pulled her wig off, and she freaking killed herself. Mm-hmm. So, to me, anything you can do to normalize it and, and own it, I guess, and learn to live with it and channel your inner rock star, which for me is Pitbull, um, <laughs> <laughs> if you got attacked by a Pitbull, uh, is a, what we Jews call a mitzvah. Not that I'm trying to be, listen, I, I, I'm sure, I, no doubt for a woman, it's very traumatizing, but she, Jada had talked about it mm-hmm. so much mm-hmm. publicly that for... It made me think that it wasn't the alopecia that was bothering her, that maybe she had some history with Chris Rock. Yeah. Uh, To me, not knowing anything, it felt like there's something else happening here. And also, it's a weird pool shot because it's not her storming the stage. It's her signaling to her husband, who then goes into what looked to me like a character. Mm. Like he... He reset and became this person who I'm now going to go kick ass. And you think, I don't know, I've met Will Smith a bunch of times. He's a gen- he, That's not who he is, that he went into character. It all felt very Somebody strange told to me. me that is who he is, <clears throat> and we've been watching a character for 20 years. So I don't know, man. I don't know. I hope he's okay. I love Will Smith. I mm-hmm. always enjoyed his movies. The one time I met him, he did scare the shit out of me. I was writing the MTV Awards with Chris Rock, and we were mm-hmm. standing at the stage. This is when he was doing Ali, and he goes, you know, hey, Jeff Ross, he just sort of recognized me, is it, you know, and he starts coming at me like Ali, boom, 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 throwing punches, and I was like scared shitless, I was mm-hmm. like, this guy's like really got the character down, so he is, he is an icon, and it, it's sad to see someone's career plummet like that, I mean, his, you know, who am I to talk, his worst day is probably my best day in show business, but it really hurt me to see, I, I said to my girlfriend that night, and I was like, basically through my emotions, I said, if he gets away with this, I'm done in show business. Right. Who's right. going to stick up for me at, at a comedy club if this guy's getting away with slapping Chris Rock on the Oscars? And and, and think about it. Like, he, he, he slapped Chris. He won. He made a speech. He got a standing ovation. He went to the after party, went dancing, and then they kicked him out of the academy. I know. That's like going to your favorite restaurant for your birthday. They pick up the check. The waitress fucks all your friends and families. You have three desserts. <laughs> and the maitre d's like, sir, we're going to have to ask you to leave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's 5 a.m. My dick is wet. Is I'm leaving. <laughs> I did it. I had That's the best the greatest ever. Denny's I've ever heard of. <laughs> you got to go there now. <laughs> hey guys, Sean Hayes here. Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and I had a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to sit down with not one, not two, but three presidents of the United States on our recent episode of Smartless. That's because President Biden, a returning guest, brought two of his favorite pals, former Presidents Bill Clinton and Barack Obama, all joined us for unforgettable conversation. It's a historic episode of Smartless as we pry into the minds of these remarkable leaders. We'll cover everything from their time in office, America's responsibilities in the world, and their personal passions in an episode full of some candid stories, insightful perspectives, and a few surprises along the way. Whether you're a political junkie or just curious about the inner workings of the Oval Office, this episode is a must-listen. Don't miss out on this incredible opportunity to hear from three of the most influential figures in recent American history. Follow Smartless on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen to Smartless ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. 
Looking for some amazing TV to stream? Indulge yourself with the hits on Hulu you can't miss. Dive in with Barney, Ted, Robin, and the gang on How I Met Your Mother. All nine seasons are now streaming on Hulu. Then you can move to Modern Family, Schitt's Creek, and My Wife and Kids. We're talking every episode and every season of these shows. We're talking huge hits, streaming on Hulu whenever you're in the mood. Now we're talking. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispie, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. something that I, I wanted to talk about and I intend to talk about a little later, but I know this about you. I don't know that everybody does. You are a very talented comic and you're a very uh, intelligent writer of, you know, what would seem to a lot of people to be like vicious, brutal jokes. You're a sensitive person. Someone might think, oh, this guy has a thick skin. You have a thin skin. And I think that's true of a lot of actually probably all comedians. We, we, at the end of the day, we want to make people happy. Mm-hmm. You're not someone that wants to hurt people or wants to hurt their feelings. And I think uh, when you're doing your job right, you can really roast someone and they enjoy it. It's an honor for them. Mm-hmm. It's an honor to be roasted by you. Thank you. I think of myself as having a thick skin when it comes to jokes. Like if someone makes a joke about me, that I have thick skin. But as far as like when I find out if for some reason I've hurt someone's feelings or the the few times I can remember that I overdid it or piled on, yeah, I regret it. I've I've sent notes. I've apologized to people. Because it's... It's a bad feel. It's a, it's a terrible feeling. It's a terrible feeling. I'm sure you had it going on yep. o- over your career with jokes and, and with guests. But to me, I want everyone to leave the roast feeling like that was so much fun. I want to do that again. Or I want them to roast me sometime. Or mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I can't wait to tell my kids what Jeff Ross said about me last night, tomorrow. Mm-hmm. You know, I want it to be a badge of honor. I want it to... And, and I waited years and years. You know, you'd always wait for celebrities to go, all right, let's do it. Putting on the tux. Here we go. You know, big star celebrity roast. And that's when I was like, I can't wait anymore. That's when I started just saying to the fans at my shows, like, who wants to come up here and get roasted? Right. Because I realized that it had this this healing quality over it and made people feel good about themselves and feel sexy or feel validated or seen. I had a guy in, in, in I guess it was uh, Salt Lake not too long ago. He's squealing out of his chair. He's with his friends. He wants to come up so bad. And he's a severely deformed person. Like mm-hmm. his eyes were two different levels. His mm-hmm. ear was down like under his jawline. Something happened to him, obviously at birth that was pretty intense. And the audience is just like, what the And you can feel them tighten up. So I save them for last. So I line up to 10 people and I work my way down. And I'm thinking, in my head, I'm trying to figure out how am I going to get out of this? What is this going to be? Where is this going to land? And then I got to the guy and he was so happy to be up there. It almost didn't matter what I said. I asked him if he modeled for Picasso. (laughs) (laughs) But the point was, he's the first guy afterwards, like wanting a picture, wanting to hug me. And it... That is the part where you say, am I sensitive? That's the part that gets me. Like I get, I get weepy trying to understand how it all works. What goes through this guy's head? What am I doing for him? What is he doing for me? How is he, he's making my job harder, but also more gratifying and the whole thing. And I I don't usually analyze it because then I get 
you know how it is. It's like when you're a comic, you go, oh, if I'm too happy, I won't be funny anymore. If I understand <laughs> it too well, it won't be as daring. So it's just as one of those, I don't know, it feels like a superpower sometimes. A lot of it's about how the person reacts. And as you know, again, I grew up, maybe you saw it and watched it too, but um, those Dean Martin roasts that they would show on television were, that's what I knew a roast was right. when, I was a, when I was a kid. And I've seen some of them since because they package them and you can, you can watch them. And it really is about seeing Dean Martin or you see these huge stars just laughing as they're being torn apart. To me, that's the magic of it is seeing the person enjoy it. Now, famously, I've never seen the tape, but I famously there was the Chevy Chase roast where I'm told he sat there with glasses the whole time right. and then uh, apparently just pretty much told everyone to fuck off and went up to his room and locked the door. That's what I've always heard. Hmm. But stunning to me that he would go to a roast not knowing <laughs> what the deal was. Almost acted like I'm, I'm, I'm shocked. I thought I was getting a, a Nobel Prize in chemistry. <laughs> and you people were so cruel. And so, but I didn't, I didn't know what it was. But it was, to me, one of the few times I've heard in history that it went completely off the rails. Have you seen that? Have you heard about that? I, I wasn't at that one, but I did interrogate Greg Giraldo afterwards. <laughs> right, right. And uh, just recently, uh, Al Franken brought it up to me over lunch. We were laughing about how stick in the mud Chevy was. But I remember saying to Greg, he was telling me how awful the roast was. There was a few people, apparently Todd Barry killed and, and maybe Mark Maron. A couple people were funny. But I couldn't get through it because to me it was one of those things where it just seemed like a, a movie where the plot never moved along. It's like, all right, everybody's, he's, he's stonewalling everybody. It's like, and not showing vulnerability, wearing sunglasses at a roast is just odd. But what the, the, the linchpin for me is always the human connection. When I do produce a roast and I'm producing one for, for uh, Tom Brady uh, mm -hmm. after the Super Bowl, uh, this coming up, to me, the, the linchpin of it is everyone knowing each other, or at least meeting. So I said to Greg, well, what did you say to him when you met him early, you know, the night before or the mo in that morning? Or he goes, oh, I didn't meet him till I walked out to the podium. And I said, well, if I was producing that show, you would have had a moment to shake his hand. No hard feelings. Anything goes. Let's have some fun. Big fan. Humanize it. Right. Whatever. You know, just have some human moment connection there. And they didn't do that. And I think, you know, not to give all the secrets away about baking up, cooking up a good roast, but I do think everyone meeting, at least for dinner the night before or having some kind of, it's like it's like a wedding. You want to have a, 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 a little um, bonding time the night before the big day. And they didn't do that. And I think that was problematic for the younger comics. They didn't feel um, made enough. They didn't feel like they were belonged in his life. And I think that he also felt that way, it seemed. But his daughter's very nice and she got married this weekend. So shout out to Caitlin. Um, <laughs> I'm going to have that She's edited. the piano player I'll at the comedy store. Out. She's lovely. That'll never see air. <laughs> I'll take that out just out of spite. No, there. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure Chevy's uh, over the roast by now. <laughs> well, I'm not sure he is. <laughs> they have made the beginning of a long. I always thank. I, I always thank my my honorees for being a good sport afterwards because yeah. it's not easy, right? You know, have you ever been roasted? I've never been roasted. I get roasted every day. Every day. That I think, to your point. When you're done with something like that, you almost felt like you've been to a spa because you get the bile, like the bile literally comes out of your pores. Uh, and I, I find it to be, um, 
there's something really magical about it when it goes well, when it goes really well. And uh, it's one of the things that why I brought up the, how the person reacts is so key because you're giving them a gift if they see it that way. Which I'll is, take it. In, go ahead. Go ahead. If you can laugh at yourself, if you can laugh during that, it's a, it's kind of joyous. And when I you're always, done. I always say to the honoree, I said, if you're having fun, everyone's going to have right. fun. And to your point, their laugh not a, can also make the joke better. My most famous joke when I was a young comedian was at the roast of Jerry Stiller, Friars Roast. Mm -hmm. I've heard about this. This is B. Arthur. I want to hear this. Oh, please, yes. you, yes. please say this. Please oh. say this. So I'm, I'm, this is like 1999 or something. I'm just starting to get a little bit of a reputation around New York for doing the roast. And I loved it because here I was doing shows with Milton Berle and Buddy Hackett. Mm -hmm. and, 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 you know, of course, my, my hip friends in the alt comedy scene were making fun of me. But I was like, this is the ultimate alternative right. comedy. Like, right. I'm up here with these, you know, Mount Roastmore of comedy. You right. know, while you guys are out there, you know, in these without a microphone in these like alt bars. And I'm like, I'm going to come up here and get made fun of by Milton Berle. And uh, at this point now, I'm like, you know, a Comedy Central, I don't know what they would call it, consultant. Like I would help if Kevin James was going to roast Jerry Stiller, I was going to write Kevin's set, my set, Jerry's set. Like I worked months, 24-7, you know, I did it all. It was like... Uh, you know, fresh baked daily jokes. Here's the latest. And right. this is your speech. And this is your speech. And everybody would have input. And, you know, I'd work with everybody to make sure they owned it and felt it. But I was all in on these shows. And B. Arthur was one of my idols. I just loved her. And she, the the, the Friars Club would, would have the podium in the middle. And then the dais would go 40 people each side, like an airplane wing, you know, like, <laughs> and, and, you know, Freddie Roman would get up and it would introduce everyone there for 20 minutes. Everyone would take a bow. I did the same joke every year when Freddie would introduce Donald Trump on the dais, I would stand up and wave just as Donald had his one <laughs> moment of the night. <laughs> I would always take his moment and, and act like I was him and wave to the, to the, it was like, you know, 2,000 people. He was a good sport even then. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Howard and Robin, they'd be up in the balcony and, you know, it was like a who's who of politics and boxers and all of it was, was always just as, a, I love that I was, that it was just all these New York um, socialites and stuff and B. Arthur shows up because she's friends with, you know, Ann Mira and Jerry Stiller. So she's a guest and she's on the dais. And of course, I'm towards the end of the show and no one's other than her little bow in the beginning. No one's mentioned B. Arthur. And mm -hmm. I'm like, that is disrespectful. <laughs> <laughs> I'll fix this. So, I know what to do. So I, I have my script. There's no teleprompters. It's, it, it, I have my script. And, and, and I don't know what I was thinking or where it came from, but in my nervous scrawl, um, just somewhere in my margin, I wrote B. Arthur's dick. <laughs> and I sat there another 30 minutes. That note just sold at Sotheby's for $600,000. <laughs> and one of my friends from the Friars Club, one of the board members, Joe Zapala, he was the ambassador to Spain. Right. Uh, you know, he's sitting next to me, an older guy, and I and I show him, I just, I point on the paper to him next to me, it just says, B. Arthur, and he, he looks like, he goes, no, 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 no. <laughs> 
You were warned. This perfectly nice evening. No, 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 no. And, and, and then I look at him like, man, you know, I should have asked a comic, not an ambassador. <laughs> and, 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 uh, and, and I finally wait my turn, and, and and I'm next. And Sandra Bernhard, who I love, is up there, and she's doing a risque uh, sort of lap dance thing to Jerry, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, writhing around uh, Jerry. And, you know, he doesn't, he was very squeamish. He was mm-hmm. very embarrassed. And mm-hmm. that was the joke is how he got uncomfortable. Handle, yeah. yeah. And his son is there and his daughter's there and his wife, Ann Mir is there and the whole thing. And uh, is, is just delightful and hilarious and weird and totally Sandra. And then they introduced me, and I said, my opening joke was, I couldn't help myself, Sandra Bernhard, holy shit, I wouldn't fuck you with B. Arthur's dick. (laughs) (laughs) To your your earlier point, Uh the joke's okay. Yeah. To me, the joke's okay. (laughs) But it's like you say about Rickles, it's the balls of it. Yes. You know? But it's the, the, the brazenness part of it. But but it was her reaction that made it yes. my made my triple into a grand slam. Yeah. It was she 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 just slow burned me. <laughs> and the and the, the camera held on her and she just didn't just evil eyed just just she murdered me by just looking at me. Right. And that made everything okay. Like, she gave a classic Golden Girls, like, slow burn take. Perfect. And she really made it perfect. And, you know, a year goes by, you know, that year, like, Time Out in New York, jokes of the year, it makes the end of the year thing, That's like, great. moments. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm getting famous off this B. Arthur joke. I wonder if she's hearing about it. So now I'm like, oh, my God, I hope she's not upset. You know, I love B. Arthur to think that I would embarrass her or hurt her in any way. Like, she was a good sport, but maybe on the inside, is she getting asked about this in interviews? Because the roasts <laughs> were starting to take off to become this, like, cultural thing. And I see that she's performing her uh, one-person show in Los Angeles. Uh, it's a fundraiser for an animal charity. And I didn't have a lot of money back then. And the tickets were expensive. And I got one ticket. <laughs> I went by myself. <laughs> uh-huh. And I brought flowers. And somehow I weaseled my way backstage. And she had a long line of well-wishers who wanted to congratulate her. And I waited to go last so that I could actually talk to her. And uh, I gave her the flowers. And I said, Miss Arthur, it's like a year later. I don't mm-hmm. know if you remember me, but we met at Jerry's Roast and she said, you nailed me, you prick. (laughs) (laughs) Well, good for you, but good for you for going. Good for you for going. And the best lay I ever had. (laughs) (laughs) She was hung like a horse. (laughs) Roast in peace. Roast in peace. Rest in peace, B. Arthur. I loved her. She was so cool and did come back to another roast. She showed up at the Pam Anderson roast. So to her credit, she really did love love what we were doing. I think you and I have something in common, which is I'm I adore endless fascination and idolization. Well, well, seriously, people that came before me. The longevity is what is why I respect that older generation. My buddy um, is a professor of uh, comedy and show business history at, at NYU and at Yale, and he told me that you and I are both 
fans of Sid Caesar. Yes, yeah. I used to go to Sid's house for like Jewish holidays and for his 90th birthday. He'd have a few, you know, Richard Lewis and me were like the comics that he would invite along with Mel and Carl and and his sort of protégés, you know, Carl Reiner and Mel Brooks. And I remember sitting there on on Sid's 90th and and, uh, Carl and Mel came in five minutes after me. So I'm sitting there with Sid and some other people and they come in and they they regressed back into their 25-year-old selves and uh, Carl and Mel walk up around Sid's wheelchair. Sid was a little in and out of it at that point. Like, mm-hmm. You weren't always sure. Sometimes he thought he had a show to do that night. Sometimes he knew <laughs> right. it was his birthday. It was so cute. Carl and Mel come all the way around to the front so that Sid can see them, recognize them, and Mel goes, Hey, look, Sid, it's Carl Ryder and Mel Brooks. <laughs> <laughs> and the Sid just lit up, you know. It was like it was like going to see your uncle or something. It was beautiful. Well, it probably took him right back to 1952, and they have a show in, you know, an hour. And right. these are his... This Wake is, me when it's funny. Yeah, exa- I mean, there's a life. I have, That's why I, I love a writer's room. I started out in a writer's room. I love being in a room full of people, and... To me, sometimes people would think, well, you guys are wasting time. You're really going off on these crazy tangents that have nothing to do with the Simpsons script or the SNL script or whatever it is you're supposed to be working on or the Conan script. I think, I don't, I know this is necessary to the process. I don't know why. Right. But us doing a weird, nonsensical, filthy 45 minute riff. About a guy who's got a Slim Jim for a dick, you know, <laughs> is somehow necessary to the process. And you'll never convince me that it's not. It's like, uh, it's like um, what do you call it? Uh, uh, when, when you're uh, making a sculpture out of clay, you know, mm-hmm. a lot. I always say to writers and to myself, there's no such thing as wasted writing. Even if you write that whole Slim Jim bit down. And you and you trash it. It kind of got you to the next thing yeah. that you have to get to. Yeah, that that's funny for all of you because you've been through the ride together. So I do think there's no such thing as wasted writing. It gets you to the next place. Now you referenced this a little bit earlier. You made a joke, but you touched on the fact that we've lost Bob Saget, Gilbert Gottfried, Norm Macdonald, all in a relatively short period of time. Yeah, it almost feels like a conspiracy. Yeah. I mean, it it. it these really, uh, really uniquely talented people, uh, you know, I've been thinking about it lately because I knew, I think I knew Norm better. I think I, I knew, Gilbert used to do tons of bits for us over the years. And what I remember about Gilbert was he was the most, the difference between backstage Gilbert and on-air Gilbert <laughs> was the largest difference I think I've seen in a performer. He was so quiet. He just wanted to take food from the craft services table, <laughs> yep. put it in his pockets and get it home to his rent-controlled apartment. Oh, like that, that's so what odd. he mostly wanted to do. So odd. But he was so, yeah. Oh, he, uh, I love them. But he's so sweet. So sweet. Them. And he was one of the first, uh, when I first got out of school and was in New York, I went to a comedy club, I, and I barely knew who he was. And the crowd was, they said, ladies and gentlemen, Gilbert Godfrey, and he came out on stage and he went, thank you, thank you. Please, please, no, thank you. 
please, it's too much, sit, thank you. And then he kept doing that for maybe 11 minutes. And people at my table were getting, I didn't know them, I was just sitting in, but people at my table were getting mad. They were getting mad. And then there's silence and he's going, I beg of you, please, please, it's too much. How can I reciprocate? And he kept going and I was dying. My jaw fell off. I was crying. And then of course he got the crowd back again, but I thought that the balls on that guy to do that. He was one of a kind. Talk about fearless. I I I, I spoke at his funeral, mm-hmm. and 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 you know he he did this joke on my uh, Netflix bumping mic special uh, about skull fucking his dead grandma. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so now I'm at his funeral. That old chestnut. Yeah. Now, yeah. now I'm at his funeral, and I'm looking at his wife, and his, he has kids. <laughs> Thirteen year old and a fifteen year old, and he had this whole other side to him. Yeah, yeah. He was a great dad, and 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 I love his kids. I took his son to see Billy Crystal's uh, amazing new musical uh, the other day. I know that both sides of Gilbert. <clears throat> so here I am at his funeral, and I'm talking about how <laughs> Gilbert's comedy is fearless and subversive, but yet he was so lovable. He could get us to laugh at a joke about skull fucking a dead person. Mm -hmm. Then I looked at his coffin and said, not so funny now. (laughs) (laughs) How'd that go over? We buried him in a soundproof coffin. Good, good. He was very loud. And uh, a wonderful, wonderful uh, 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 person. A unique person. He will be missed. The Norm Gilbert Saget thing... I don't know how to explain. I will say my sister has asked me to get my affairs in order. Just <laughs> yes. In so uh, she doesn't get stuck taking care of me, figuring out what to do if I ever. But it, 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 I, I would love to tell a Norm story. Since yeah, yeah. You really moved me at the memorial. And uh, I love Norm. He was my, when I was a very, very beginning comedian, my first real legit road gig was emceeing his seven or eight shows at Catch a Rising Star in Princeton. This would have been about like 90, 91. Norm Mm -hmm. was not famous. He was this sort of like hot young comic coming out of Canada. And he wasn't famous here. He hadn't done Letterman. He hadn't done really much here. It was a big gig for me. I'm hosting Norm's shows. And this is when Andrew Dice Clay was the number one comic in the world. And Norm was so different than that. Yes. Yeah. But comedy was hot, so the clubs the club was packed every night, and Norm had this weird accent, and his jokes were long, and they were often uh, absurd. And you know, the crowd was it's seven shows. He probably bombed three of them, yeah, and he killed the other four. They either got him, they either loved him or they hated him. And when he killed, we'd go backstage and we would play poker until the next show. When he bombed, inexplicably, he would go to the exit and say goodbye to every single person. (laughs) I think to entertain me, I don't know if he just loved the awkwardness of it, or he was always one step ahead of me, one step ahead of his fans, the industry. I wish he had been... Been, you know, he, he he wanted to tell the the most honest, the brut, the most brutally funny joke, no matter what the consequences. I would play poker with him later on, 
when he was at SNL, he would he would he would have the guys over on Mondays when mm-hmm. or whatever it was Sundays whenever there was no one up there, and we'd play poker. And he liked to play poker there because he had the long table and he could watch five TVs so he could gamble on football yep. while playing poker <laughs> and while holding court. It was so much fun for me. And then he said, "Come back Saturday. Come hang out at the show." So um, this is an example of Norm just not giving a flying fuck about anybody. Like he just wanted to make people laugh no matter what the consequences. Rosie O'Donnell was the was the host of the show that week, a guest 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 host and height of her fame with Penny Marshall. They were like they were like this famous team and they'd done a big movie together yeah, and yeah. and Penny by now is like a a big movie director. And I'm in that hallway, you know, where the pages are, where the desk is, and every everybody kind of, you know, congregates in that area. It's crowded. It's 10 minutes to showtime. And I'm standing there with Norm and a bunch of writers and pages and whoever else and our guests. And Penny comes in with a baseball hat and sunglasses, head down, just kind of big timing everybody, just mm-hmm. cutting through the crowd, celebrity style. And, uh, and Norm starts going, starts pointing at her and screaming, Laverne! Laverne! <laughs> <laughs> a month later, I think he was fired uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. For, for telling OJ jokes. But it really shows that he just wanted to uh, tell the best jokes. I wish he was so brutally honest about his health. We would have gotten to say goodbye to him. I know. Proper I, I think that bothered a lot of us. And I think a lot of us assumed everyone knew. When it happened, I thought, oh, Jesus, he didn't tell me. But I guess... I would assume you would know. We all assumed everyone else knew, and then it turned out that nobody knew. Mm. You know, his his family knew, and Lori Joe knew, but that was uh, he, he didn't want people to know. Mm. That's what he wanted. So I guess you have to. I honor get it. That. I I had freaking a skin condition. I didn't want anyone to know. Like anything that makes you think you the audience might feel sorry or sympathy or and not think you're just f- funny. Yeah. Anything that undercuts the comedy. You don't want the audience to know, so I get it. I've I done get very it. well with sympathy. <laughs> I think you've again. We disagree. I, I think you get that audience to feel badly for you. <laughs> you Nobody it. rewards desperation. Yeah, right? exactly. You know, uh, you know uh, I want to ask you about uh, Bob Saget because I knew Bob a bit. I did not know him nearly as well as you guys, but I spent this intense day with him in San Francisco about maybe 12 years ago. We shot something towards the end of my late night show run. We were in San Francisco and we, I was with him for an entire day and then into the evening and we had a great day. And I feel like after that, I felt like I get Bob. I understand Bob. Um, He's neurotic. He was, he was, uh, but very funny and incredibly sweet. And when he passed, which was very shocking, I know that you, and John Mayer made this <clears throat> a, a great video of you guys going to pick up his car at the airport. Mm-hmm. And I'd started to think about what if that became like the new harbinger of death for a comic <laughs> <laughs> that, you know, that you go and pick up their car. And I was like, <laughs> and they, you know, if I'm in the hospital and I'm not feeling quite well and they tell me that Mr. Mayer <laughs> and Mr. Ross are downstairs asking about your car. Yeah, do you have your keys? Yeah, do you have your keys? I was like, oh God. I'm going to put it in my... Well, that's gonna, why he's here today. I know, I'm going to leave. <laughs> Don't fucking go near my car. <laughs> if it's a stick, you're safe. I'm getting a stick now. I don't want you guys touching my car. 
But um, no, that was, I, I thought what you guys did was was very sweet. And I was- Thank you. Of Sheer all- necessity, because Bob refused to have an assistant. Uh, it was obviously his death was a surprise, so mm-hmm. nothing was, and he'd, he would do that during COVID. He would drive himself in his daughter's old car to the airport so he wouldn't be in a car with a driver. He was really worried about getting COVID. And, uh, you know, I remember that first or second night at the house and his wife, Kelly, said, Bob's car is at the airport, you know? And I said, all right, we'll go get it. Mm -hmm. And it was just a simple act of, you know, it's like, just like I was back in New Jersey running an errand for a family friend, you know? It wasn't... Uh, and John Mayer was just in the car when you got in it. <laughs> Which was odd. I thought that was odd. Because I think he's lives, he was living there. <laughs> he did not agree to go. He didn't even know what was up. Where's Bob? Just take it easy, John. I'll tell you later. Uh, I'm going to miss that guy, too. I really... I mean, I had this very strong feeling with Norm, which is there's no more Norm. There, there, I don't get any more of that, my favorite... It sounds really crass but like this is my favorite soda and they don't make it anymore and you you keep looking for it and saying i want more of that and they're like no there is no more that's it we we discontinued it yeah it's uh and you go back and you, you i replay his jokes more than anyone's yeah you know it's like every six months daylight savings time rolls around <laughs> i think of norm because he'd always say ah, i give it six months <laughs> <laughs> I blew the punchline when I was growing But also, he, up, but he, he, doesn't, he, <laughs> he has some jokes that only work if Norm says them. So right. he'd say, like, you know, uh, MMA fight or kickboxing, uh, uh, a sport that combines the grace and, you know, uh, athleticism of the sweet science with kicking. <laughs> and the way he would just stare afterwards, you know, and has that jack-o'-lantern face that just, just devastated me. He had the most famous... I told you earlier about opening for him in New Jersey at Catch a Rising Star. What really bonded us was at the end of that run, he was going to New York for the first time to do Letterman. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of launched his career. And I had a Jeep uh, that my sister bought me after she got hit by a drunk driver to help me get my comedy career going. So I, I, Norm says, hey, you want to drive me to New York? You know, I'm doing, you know, he didn't invite me up or anything. He just, I dropped him off at at his first Letterman. (laughs) And, and, you know, we really got to talk on that, on that ride. And then, and then um, there was that famous appearance where I'd never seen Letterman do this. Um, uh, Norm did his whole bit about the devil tricking him into cut, killing his family and cutting them up at the, si- the side of the road or so side of the lake or something. And the big reveal was, it's not the devil, it's me, Bob! You know, <laughs> hey, Bob, you got me! And then Norm crushed, he killed. And then there's a commercial break, Norm's gone, and it comes back to Letterman who goes, it's me, Bob! And I was like, wow, I've never seen a callback wow. in a late night show before. So Norm was a... One of a kind, and like you say, there'll be no more Norm jokes. Nope. We have to sort of play the greatest hits in our head. Well, so uh, it was Jim Downey mentioned this to me, uh, Norm's co-writer on Update. He thought, and I thought it was a really good idea, the way people get together once a year and play uh, roots music, you know, old you know, Appalachian music, or they, and to preserve it, people should gather once a year and talk about Norm. Mm. You know, there should be some forum for that because it will endure. It I will, love that idea. Yeah, I love that idea too. Um, I want to make sure that I mention mm. 
you mentioned uh, a project that's important to you just before we started the podcast. It just dropped. Um, it's called Dirty Daddy, a tribute to Bob Saget that I produced with uh, John Stamos and Mike Binder. Um, it's like a punk rock wake that we did at the Comedy Store in honor of Bob and his family is there and Jim Carrey and Chris Rock and and and, and Lovitz and uh, Jackson Brown and John Mayer, they're all on it. And we just sort of decided for one night uh, to mourn Bob with a comedy party. Mm-hmm. And we just sort of improvised our way through an hour and... Um, it's cathartic if anybody wants to watch that. It just dropped on Netflix. I'm glad you guys recorded that. I didn't know you had. I heard get, about it, but I didn't know you had. I didn't know either until Mike Binder said afterwards, I had five cameras planted in the back, <laughs> and, and we were thrilled that he had it. It was Jim Carrey's first time on stage at the Comedy Store in decades. Wow. And it was a, actually a, a, a really special... Uh, th- that is the odd thing that, you know... I, I never really thought what happened because I lost three friends in such a short amount of time. I've sort of been doing a lot of tributes. Mm-hmm. They asked me to do one on the hall, which was like a hall of fame show as part of the Netflix is a joke comedy festival. I had one joke that is hard to tell, but I want to tell this because I feel like this is a good room for it. Mm-hmm. And, and this is something that you and I talked about before the podcast, but you asked me, you know, Bob was this, global television star, but he lived his life like a comedian. Mm -hmm. He died on the road after a show in a hotel room by himself like a comedian. He slipped and hit his head, which is kind of poetic for a guy who hosted America's Funniest Home (laughs) (laughs) Video. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Bob's in heaven right now. Can I use that? That's good. That's good. Can I have that? Can I use that? So, uh, shout out, Bob. Well, God bless you, Jeff Ross. Hilarious and uh, a, uh, a delight talking to you today. Really fun, and, Conan. Yeah, please come back, because I feel like we just scratched the surface. You know? uh, I definitely would love that. I have that. a list of 75 things to talk to you about and we got to two so <laughs> and 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 all the fans listening come on out see me on tour i'm 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 having the best shows of my career i don't ever talk like that my fans who know me know i never talk like that but mm-hmm. there's something going on in comedy right now i don't know if it comes from the slaps the tackles that are happening <laughs> and post covid i think there's a release right i i think it's the covid People missed comedy for a long time, and and I think they're appreciating it in a new way. And for whatever reason, I'm feeling I love it more than I've ever loved it. 32 years in the game, for whatever reason. Yeah. So go to roastmastergeneral.com. I promise you, you will uh, have a good time at one of my shows. Uh, or your money back. It means a lot to me. When, when, <laughs> you didn't when, say, or your money back. No money back. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, guaranteed that you'll have a few good zingers you can uh, take home with you for the next day. Conan, congrats on your uh, this next chapter for you. This studio is awesome. Your oh, thank crew you. is awesome. I really had a, this was cathartic today, so thank you. Great. I'm glad. This was a joy. Thank yeah. you so much. Sure thing, bud. Hey guys, Sean Hayes here. Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and I had a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to sit down with not one, not two, 
but three presidents of the United States on our recent episode of Smartless. That's because President Biden, a returning guest, brought two of his favorite pals, former presidents Bill Clinton and Barack Obama, all joined us for unforgettable conversation. It's a historic episode of Smartless as we pry into the minds of these remarkable leaders. We'll cover everything from their time in office, America's responsibilities in the world, and their personal passions in an episode full of some candid stories, insightful perspectives, and a few surprises along the way. Whether you're a political junkie or just curious about the inner workings of the Oval Office, this episode is a must-listen. Don't miss out on this incredible opportunity to hear from three of the most influential figures in recent American history. Follow Smartless on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen to Smartless ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. Listen, guys, we've made news and we've made fake news. Okay, help me out. I have no idea what you're talking about. Remember when we did the Conan O'Brien Needs a Fan episode with Smith Mulliken, the guy who is responsible for the shipping manifest of things that go up to space? Oh, yes. And we joked, what could you send up? And Sona said, space porn. And we got into a conversation (laughs) about jizzing in space. And then I said that if one male astronaut jizzes in space, he could get up to three female astronauts pregnant. Right, Mm -hmm. right. Well, now news outlets picked this up and started presenting it as news. (gasps) And when I say news outlets, I mean real rags like... (laughs) A bunch of other. And the New York Times. Clickbait. And CNN. The best part about this is that Snopes had to do an entry on it. Now, Snopes is the fact-checking site that people go to to find out if something is real or not. I've Mm -hmm. been a donor to this site before. I love this site. And I'm so happy to be on there, but also bummed to be on there as one of the people blamed for fake news. Uh, You're saying that people reporting that this did happen, that three astronauts got pregnant? I'll clarify. Okay. Here's the Snopes article itself. Mm. Claim, a NASA scientist warned astronauts against masturbating in space because they could accidentally impregnate multiple women at once. Uh, Mm -hmm. Rating, false. Fact check. In July 2022, several news sites published articles claiming that a NASA scientist had recently issued a warning to astronauts against masturbating in space because it allegedly could impregnate multiple women. The New York Post, for example, published an article headlined, Astronauts Should Not Masturbate in Zero Gravity, NASA Scientist Says. The Daily Star ran with, Astronauts warn not to masturbate in space as one session can impregnate three females. (laughs) These headlines are absurd. NASA has issued no such warning to its astronauts. These articles were based on a joke that was told by a comedian during a recent episode of Conan O'Brien's podcast, Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. On July 21st, an episode of the podcast titled Space Porn was released on various (laughs) podcast platforms. The episode featured Conan, co-host Sonin Movsesian, and Matt Gorley, and guest Smith Mulliken, a mechanical engineer who works with a NASA contractor in Houston, Texas. During the episode, Conan asked Mulliken about what sort of items can be shipped up to the International Space Station. As the host mulled ideas about the strangest items that could be shipped to space, co-host Movsesian asked if he'd ever sent porn into space. Oh, man! (laughs) They specified it was me that brought up the porn. but still, let's hear more. Let's hear more. Uh, No, Mulliken replied, none of that. (laughs) 
The curious hosts were not satisfied with this answer, however, and continued to joke about porn and masturbation in space. At one point, Gourley, who is a comedian, now they should fact check no, okay. that. Okay, that, that's the fake news. Yes, I know. That is the, to me, that's the most, I know. that's the part that has me enraged. Well, I get called a scientist later, too. I'm loving this. All right. At one point, Gourley, who's a comedian and not a NASA scientist, joked that three female astronauts could be impregnated at the same time if an astronaut were to masturbate in space. Here's the exchange. Conan, we're someone to be watching space porn on the space station. How does that work? <laughs> Gorley, three female astronauts can be impregnated by the same man from the same session. Conan, because the semen flies around? Gorley, uh-huh, and finds its way. Movsesian, and the women are all naked? <laughs> Gorley, well, it's space porn. <laughs> Mulliken, who is not directly employed by NASA, was not an active participant in this portion of the conversation. This was a brief. I'm glad that we cleared him. If we've done nothing else, we've cleared him of all charges. This was a brief exchange by three comedians. However, no, it was not an exchange by. There's one comedian here. Then there's Sona. I I don't know what what cloud. You're my assistant. Yeah, I'm your. And Gorley, I don't know what you are. I only. You're just an imp. You're a troublesome imp. No, but you are not a comedian. However, when this conversation was recounted in the pages of the New York Post, the site misquoted this section and claimed that the scientist had issued this warning about multiple women getting pregnant. Um, the scientist in the concluding sentence was actually comedian Gorley. <laughs> okay. Listen. <laughs> we're, we're, you've got to stop. Is there more to read? Just, just to sum up okay. that NASA has not issued this guideline and there is even I believe some evidence that the Russians wanted astronauts to try that in space but there might be some logistical problems to having sex with someone in space because of lack of gravity has an impact on blood flow mm. so that's that's just the fact of it all okay um, all right. well let's uh, that's all neither here nor there I think we should attack uh, what's happened in the media there are many uh, instances of f- fake news mm-hmm. I don't think this is that egregious because I think we brought up a legitimate point mm. and uh, I think that astronauts should be warned we don't know uh, science doesn't know what's going to happen uh, if space porn somehow invades the International Space Station well, now isn't this reason for them to find out? Like now, there's an, now we need to know. Someone well, I'm pretty sure the jizz. Russians have figured it out already. Someone we just need them to, to share. Jizz. Yeah, no, okay. Needs, someone needs yes. to jizz. In, but can I say something? This is. Um, <laughs> we need to. Have, what, what, what's clear to me is that we were talking about an interesting subject in an erudite way. Then you mentioned you take it to porn. This isn't just Hold my it. fault, Sona. You brought it to porn, and then um, the uh, the imp over here. I'm a comedian. Yeah. Starts, Excuse me. No, you comedian. are neither a comedian a or a scientist. Uh-huh. Um, you bring it to. Uh, semen, and uh, it's all the low arts. It's the low-hanging fruit. You're also quoted in that Snopes article as carrying this conversation forward. So it's not just the two of us. All I'm doing in that conversation is trying to get some clarity, but I did not introduce those topics. I was trying to keep it more towards what are the fun, innocent things that could be brought to the space station or put into space. You were the guys that brought it, Sona, you with porn, and then you alley-ooped it over to this creep <laughs> who took it to Jizz Mountain. And then that's where we are. That's where we are. Did you no. just say Jizz Mountain? Yeah. You are, you are No, no, not. but what can I'm- Can people ta- get pregnant on Jizz Mountain? You can, but the man has to be at the top and the women have to be at a slight grade below them so it could run down. Okay. Jesus. Now, news outlets, if you're listening, this is very important. Jizz Mountain. Yeah. Jizz Mountain. The no, higher I, the altitude, the, the thinner the jizz. Yeah. yeah. Okay, that's great. Um, well, this is what we have. This is this is what we have. And is there's we a have, to this. Okay. 
Joe is that Rogan. you're still employed. <laughs> That's the capper. I don't is that you're still that is that the capper is that you're still employed. <laughs> no. That you're still here and you're Are going you to you get a comedian and a scientist and you're paying for one. Oh my god. You act like you're above this. You're I not above, above You're all. not above no. I'm on above it all. No. I sit. You are I am the this. great pharaoh who no. stands atop no. the pyramid no. and watches you guys slinging jizz down at the bottom of the pyramid. <laughs> We've got a capper for this. Okay. So you know that this is real news. Joe Rogan has put it on his Instagram. Oh, the headline from one of the articles. That's fantastic. Yeah. We don't know if it's fake news. We really don't. No, we do know that NASA has not issued that warning. Yeah, but maybe NASA should. That's my point. NASA, huh. get on it. Do you know what I mean? You, oh. you, they're stargazing so much, they're not keeping their eye on on things that could really happen. I think people need a release, even yes. in space. I don't yeah. think it's fair to Well, then to tell come up they... with a device that keeps the material secreted <laughs> Uh, and, uh, and, 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 and far from, uh, anyone who could be impregnated. They That's have all. that. It's a, called the International Space Station. Oh, it's a tube okay. sock. All right. Okay. <laughs> nice, nicely done, Sona. Space porn, space porn. Okay. Well, uh, keep bringing us down and I'll keep trying to, trying to raise us up above uh, to you greater. You were part of it. You were part of it. You were part of it. You Not really. Yeah, you were part of it. We learned it from watching you. Yeah. You said I... space porn. I think that yeah. was what you said. No, in the... I did not. That was you. No. Wait. So you, can All right. you just no, no, sure. we're we're gonna we're getting tangled. No, I let think me you uh, please just, you stick with tube sock. That was your great open <laughs> ender right there. <laughs> Congratulations, like, new mother of two. <laughs> All right, uh, good night, everybody. Device. Hope you enjoyed it. Space <laughs> Conan O'Brien needs a friend. With Conan O'Brien, Sonam Ofsesian, and Matt Gorley. Produced by me, Matt Gorley. Executive produced by Adam Sachs, Joanna Solitaroff, and Jeff Ross at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson and Cody Fisher at Earwolf. Theme song by The White Stripes. Incidental music by Jimmy Vivino. Take it away, Jimmy. Our supervising producer is Aaron Blair, and our associate talent producer is Jennifer Samples. Engineering by Will Beckton. Additional production support by Mars Melnick. Talent booking by Paula Davis, Gina Batista, and Britt Kahn. You can rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts, and you might find your review read on a future episode. Got a question for Conan? Call the Team Coco hotline at 323-451-2821 and leave a message. It, too, could be featured on a future episode. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Earwolf. Hey guys, Sean Hayes here. Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and I had a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to sit down with not one, not two, but three presidents of the United States on our recent episode of Smartless. That's because President Biden, a returning guest, brought two of his favorite pals, former Presidents Bill Clinton and Barack Obama, all joined us for unforgettable conversation. It's a historic episode of Smartless as we pry into the minds of these remarkable leaders. We'll cover everything from their time in office, America's responsibilities in the world, and their personal passions in an episode full of some candid stories, insightful perspectives, and a few surprises along the way. Whether you're a political junkie or just curious about the inner workings of the Oval Office, this episode is a must-listen. Don't miss out on this incredible opportunity to hear from three of the most influential figures in recent American history. Follow Smartless on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen to Smartless ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.